This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Today, I'm happy to welcome best-selling neuroscientist and cognitive psychologist Daniel Levitin back to the show. Last time, he came on the podcast to discuss his book, A Field Guide to Lies. And this time, he's back with a fascinating guide to the thing that we all dread, growing old. His book, Successful Aging, a neuroscientist explores the power and potential of our lives, overturns many of the myths and misconceptions about what happens to us in our later years, And today, Dan Levitin reveals that growing old is a lot more than just a gradual period of decline. Indeed, he says there are many aspects of life where people actually get better with age. Then Dan also explains how the memory works, why online brain games probably don't do all that they promise, and how taking up a new hobby or starting a second career could be the best thing for keeping the mind sharp. He debunks most of the longevity diets and supplements out there, as well as a whole bunch of common myths, from the idea that old people get more depressed to the belief that the elderly need less sleep. Plus, Dan shares the secrets of the world's sharpest and most active seniors, from former Secretary of State George Shultz to the Dalai Lama. Coming up with Dr. Daniel Levitin in just a moment. Dr. Daniel Levitin is a neuroscientist, cognitive psychologist, and best-selling author. He is founding dean of arts and humanities at the Minerva Schools at KGI in San Francisco and professor of psychology and neuroscience at McGill University. He appears frequently on the national media, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, Fox News Channel, PBS NewsHour, and various NPR shows. He has written extensively in scientific journals and mainstream press, as well as number one bestsellers like This Is Your Brain on Music and The Organized Mind. Now he's tackling the subject of growing old and how we can take a better approach to it in his new book titled Successful Aging. A neuroscientist explores the power and potential of our lives. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Kick ass. Yeah, welcome back. But before we get to the new book, for myself, I have to ask you a question that sort of relates to an earlier book, This Is Your Brain on Music, although I think that this is something you touch on in the new book as well. My wife and I are expecting our first child in late February. Congratulations. Thank you. I've been contemplating whether to expose her to music in the womb. We all heard this stuff, the baby Mozart and all that, and recently I've seen research that actually seems to debunk the value of that. What do you think? Is there anything to playing music in the womb? I have not seen the research that debunks it. We know that by the age of 20 weeks, the auditory system of the fetus is fully functional. And uh, if you play music for your uh, developing baby, um, he or she is going to wire up their neural circuits in response to that music. Mostly what gets through the amniotic fluid are low pitches, the bass lines, the drums. Okay. And so when your child is born, they're going to have a head start at understanding the rhythmic structure of music and Hmm. some of the tonal structures from the the bass notes. 
Okay. And you know, if you if you want to have a child who doesn't like music, you know, by all means, don't play music to them. But, <laughs> okay. Um, playing music is very helpful. Okay. And so, in in terms of brain development, though, are there benefits to that sort of thing? Well, in in terms of developing a musical brain, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and auditory acuity, which mm-hmm. could lead to better reading and speaking. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, from newborns to the elderly, your latest book is called Successful Aging. And it explores what really happens as we age and perhaps how we can learn to age better. Uh, This still sort of falls into your expertise as a neuroscientist, but it's a little bit of a departure for you. How much of your sudden interest in aging is personal? Well, uh, I'd say it's it's partly personal um, and and partly professional. So Mm -hmm. I've noticed all my life uh, there are musicians who age well and those who don't. I mm-hmm. mean, musicians who, and I would expand this to artists in general, painters and writers who who seem to keep running along smoothly through their 70s, 80s, and 90s and being innovative, and others who sort of peter out. Uh, and I saw it in the university where some of my colleagues would retire early at age 60 because they just seemed tired and not with it, and they recognized that. And yet, I've got colleagues in their 80s and 90s. When I was a student, I had professors in their 80s and 90s. So as a neuroscientist, that intrigued me. What What is the difference here? Now, I'm curious, in terms of musicians, who are examples of musicians who are growing and expanding and well, I still, think what, still productive creatively? Yeah, well, so the, the, the productive and creative ones that come to mind are Paul Simon, mm-hmm. who, starting in the year 2000, and I would add Rodney Crowell, who's 15, 10 years younger than, than Paul, uh, yeah, eight, 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 nine, or ten years younger. The two of them, starting in the year 2000, released a series of records that were better than anything they had done in a very illustrious and creative past, and each one was better than the last. They're pushing the boundaries. Uh, Rodney's about 68 now. Paul's about 77. Uh, and Paul just re- released a record recently where he reimagined, rearranged, and revisited some of his earlier songs. So that's a kind of creative um, artistry somewhat yeah. late in life for somebody who had a hit when he was in his 20s yeah, yeah. That, that I really admire. Now, we tend to view aging as this gradual decline where you reach a certain point and then everything about you seems to atrophy. Is that really the case, though? It's not. It, it might have been the case 50 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's a false narrative for 2020. Um, old age is not necessarily a time of debilitation and decline. Uh, sure, there's some slowing down, but for example, there's no evidence that in most people, well into their 90s, uh, th- th- there's memory impairments or that there are really? uh, depression setting in or anything like that. Really? That, False uh, narrative. That's fascinating. So you, you were asking about the connection between this and the lies book. Yeah. There's kind of a lies component to a lot of the claims that uh, people make about how to age successfully in terms of diet and supplements. And there's a lies component to the overall societal narrative about yeah. what it means to age. Yeah. I mean, that's heartening to hear because, you know, I'm at middle age, I'm 45 now, and I worry about cognitive decline all the time these days. I feel like, you know, I'm having trouble recalling names. I go into a room, forget why I'm there. I forget where I left things. Do you think that we're really getting more forgetful as we age? Or maybe is it some issue of we're just 
hyper aware of it as we age. And, you know, the fact is Alzheimer's was not making the kind of headlines 20 years ago when I was younger that it is now. Well, dementia and Alzheimer's are, are diseases of age. In fact, the single biggest predictor of whether you'll get Alzheimer's or not is age. Mm-hmm. It's the number one risk factor. <laughs> uh, we didn't used to live long enough to get it. Right. Um, but in terms, and certainly it's real and some people get it and it's characterized by memory impairment, but it's far rarer than we realize. Um, for one thing, there are a lot of misdiagnosed cases where mm-hmm. somebody is uh, older and suffering from the symptoms of memory impairment, and it turns out they just haven't been getting good sleep. And you restore sleep, the memory comes back. No kidding. That's or, fascinating. Uh, it could be polypharmacy, a mixture of different mm-hmm. medications that older adults often take, causing side effects that include memory impairment. You straighten huh. out that, modifying some doses, taking some drugs out of the cocktail, the memory comes back. Um, two other factors. One is that um, older adults just have more to remember, uh, more names, more <laughs> experiences. And it's not technically, from a neuroscientific standpoint, a memory impairment, because the memory's okay. in there. It's just system overload? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Really? It, it's, you reach huh. kind of a retrieval bottleneck. That's fascinating. And it can take longer to get the name or the word or the concept, but it eventually mm-hmm. comes. Well, one thing, in, until I read your book that I didn't realize is, you know, I've always assumed that our memory is sort of like a filing cabinet, and memory loss is just simply a matter of not being able to access that file. But From what I read in your book, it sounds like memory retrieval is a much more complicated process. What all does that entail? Well, so in a filing cabinet, a physical filing cabinet, you'd have things filed by some sort of scheme. Depending on what you're filing, it might be alphabetical Mm -hmm. by uh, person or by topic. Um, You might have drawers devoted to topics and then alphabetical within them, or it could be Mm -hmm. chronological. And you basically have to know... Uh, what you're looking for, oh, well, this is a sales invoice from 2015, and it's from the eastern United States, or this is a patient that I saw uh, who had um, um, Granischpilalia, and so I made that up, and, but she's under the G's with all the other Granischpilalia uh, patients. Um, but human memory, it does work like that, but mm-hmm. there are really an infinite number of ways to access a human memory. It's sort of like the way your computer kind of works now, which is if you don't remember the name of a file, but you're looking for a certain phrase, Mm -hmm. um, you can search for that phrase and it'll find it regardless of the name of the file. Interesting. Okay. But it's more than that. What if you could remember neither the phrase, nor the name, nor the folder that your document is in, but all you could remember was this, this had something to do with when I was in Cancun. And that's not in the file name, and it's not in the file, but it, mm-hmm. you know, it's something about Cancun. Huh. Well, maybe you go to your calendar, you see when you were in Cancun last, and you start looking by date, but... Memory has hundreds, thousands, maybe in infinite ways to access a memory. So as an example, um, I could say to you, when's the last time you had shrimp scampi? You say, (laughs) well, it was last Wednesday. Or I could say, uh, when's the last time you went out to dinner? Or when's the last time you saw your friend Jim? 
Or when's the last time uh, you disputed a bill at a restaurant? Uh, when's the last time you spilled food all over your shirt and your friends <laughs> laughed at you? Interesting. All, all these so a different lot of ways, ways to access that information. Yeah. A lot of different routes to it. Now, you were just talking a moment ago about the problem of misdiagnosis. And I was curious because, you know, the other day I went to see my doctor and I just mentioned along the way, you know, I feel like I'm forgetting a lot more than I used to. And you know, I said, should I worry that I have dementia or Alzheimer's? And he said, well, which one are you talking about, dementia or Alzheimer's? And I, I think a lot of people, myself included, tend to conflate the two. What, what is the difference? Well, I, I'm not an expert on this, but uh, my understanding is that Alzheimer's, and you can help me out here, my understanding is that Alzheimer's uh, has a particular um, biological profile that okay. it's, um, consists of neurofibrillary tangles and uh, tau proteins, which mm -hmm. are misfolded proteins, um, and it's a degenerative disease. Um, dementia is a state um, hmm. that can occur either in advanced Alzheimer's or for other reasons. Okay. So dementia is characterized by uh, disordered thought and memory impairment and um, lack of awareness of surroundings, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Um, the, the problem with Alzheimer's is that these, these markers of it that we see in, in brain scans or other tests um, are imperfect. We sometimes see people with the markers who have no symptoms. We see people with symptoms who have no markers. It's a wild west. Yeah. Recently, I mean, over the past 10 years, I think that they have come up with this theory that it is the plaques and the tangles that cause Alzheimer's. But I want to say that more recently, I've seen something that calls that into question. I mean, are we still right. kind of confused by this? Do we really know what happens? We don't. It, it could mm. be that those tangles and plaques are a result of the disease, not a cause. Mm. We don't know. Mm. Um, I was just, as it happens, uh, just it was about six weeks ago, I was having lunch up in San Francisco with my friend Stan Prusner, who is a neurologist, uh, a neuroscientist, uh, and Stan... Um, discovered prions some years oh, ago. Oh yeah, okay. Um, as the um, uh, cause of uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease and some other diseases, including mad cow disease. Wow! And in fact, he won hmm. the Nobel Prize for that discovery. And he now thinks that prions are responsible for um, for Alzheimer's. And there's lots of labs all over the country, the world, in fact, working on this. We, we just don't know. I'm always hearing about the benefits of these brain training games for your smartphone or Sudoku. Uh, people say crossword puzzles or even jigsaw puzzles can help prevent cognitive decline. Is there much science to actually support those? No. Well, there's there, a lot of money in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, where there's a lot of money, there's often a lot of, of false claims and yeah. lies and, and misinformation and disinformation, <laughs> as we talked about last time. In this case, um, if you do Sudoku and crossword puzzles uh, and you keep doing them, all that's going to happen is you'll get better at those. It doesn't improve your memory <laughs> okay. or make you better at anything else, with one exception. Huh. There's some emerging evidence that if you take them up at a later age— Say you're 60 or 70, you've oh. never done them, and you start doing them. Uh -huh. Like doing anything new at that age, mm -hmm. you're uh, engaging neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. You're making new synaptic connections. 
you're causing neural pathways to form that weren't there before. And that is huh. healthful and protective against Alzheimer's. But it doesn't have to be Sudoku or Jigsaw or Crossword. It could be learning a new language or playing yeah. an instrument or travel. And I also heard somewhere along the way that doing more things with your non-dominant hand can actually help build new neural pathways. That's probably that. That's certainly true. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's probably helpful. It's certainly true. Now, what are the best strategies for improving cognitive health down the road? Well, I would say the the big one is um, if you're not conscientious by nature, okay, to do whatever you can to improve your conscientiousness. Um, Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, conscientiousness is a cluster of personality traits or individual differences. We all fall along a continuum. Uh -huh. And it includes things like uh, reliability, dependability, rule following, okay. um, huh. doing what you say you'll do, uh, a certain amount of stick to mm -hmm. And people who are conscientious uh, do better on a host of positive life outcomes and huh. health comes at every stage of life. Really? It's the biggest single factor, more than genetics, more than environment, setting Why aside you know, people who might get bashed in the head or who have gone to war or something. Uh -huh. It's the biggest predictor. And if you think about it, let's unpack it. A conscientious kid doesn't cross against the light. Right. Okay. So doesn't get hit by a bus. <laughs> okay. Conscientious adult follows rules and doesn't end up in prison. Okay. Okay. A conscientious person um, wears their seatbelt. Mm -hmm. They don't take unnecessary risks. They um, they don't become heroin addicts. Okay. Usually, they <laughs> if something goes wrong, they go see the doctor uh -huh. right away, and okay. they actually have a doctor. You know. Right. Right. So, um, <laughs> being conscientious is important, especially as we get older. Mm -hmm. Conscientious about your diet. Mm -hmm. your, uh, exercise and movement, your okay. sleep routine. Okay. And the good news is you can kick ass and change <laughs> your personality at any age. Huh. The entire field of psychotherapy is based on that, of course, but there are other ways too. Really? Drugs, antidepressants can increase conscientiousness. That's fascinating because that sort of goes against this trope of you know, the old curmudgeon like a Larry David or a Walter Matthau type who's totally resistant to change. So we actually have ways that we can change and grow at later life, huh? We're not set in our patterns. Well, so the Larry David, Walter Matthau thing is, uh, I mean, it, it's Larry David's, uh, tell, it's his persona, of course. Right. Uh, and in his persona, he, he doesn't want to change. Mm -hmm. And part of what I argue in Successful Aging, the new book, is that we have to follow the advice of Dylan Thomas. Do not go quiet into that good night. Rage <laughs> against it. Rage against the machine. Push yeah. back. Push against the complacency. Now, in reality, Larry David is not that person. Larry David was effectively a failed comic, stand-up comic, right. who turned <laughs> to writing and was successful at that with the Seinfeld show. Mm -hmm. And then reinvented himself somewhat late in life as an on-screen personality and a persona. Yeah. And so he did actually <laughs> okay. change. Yeah, yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> and he's a good example of, you know, one thing that I hear, not just from you, but a lot of people say, never, ever retire. Just keep on going. Even if it's just uh, working part-time or volunteering something, but 
don't retire. Don't just sit in front of the television or stare out the window for the rest of your life. That was going to be my second piece of advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't retire. And I spoke to a number of very productive people who were older, and um, that was the thing that came up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. As Jane Goodall told me, 89 years old, still yeah. keeps a punishing tour schedule. Yeah, she does. She has a lot of speaking engagements. She does. She says, don't stop. <laughs> Judy Collins, age 80, don't stop. Yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was Julia Hurricane Hawkins, my new hero, <laughs> 103-year-old competitive runner. Oh, I've seen her. Yes, she yes. Just I think took, she wrote a book, didn't she, recently? Yes, she did. Yeah. And she just took yeah. gold medals in the senior games, broke a world record for wow. running, and Good she didn't her. even begin competitive running till she's 100. Wow. Talk about pretty you know, changing, you know, <laughs> yeah, rewriting sure. your story. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more when we come back in just a minute. Hey, folks, technology is constantly changing. And if you have a business like I do, you know all too well that you either change with it or you die. It used to be that a company didn't exist unless it was in the phone book, and then a company didn't exist if it wasn't on the Internet. But nowadays, people are spending less time on their computers and more time on their mobile devices, which means it's absolutely essential to have an attractive and easy-to-use mobile app. If you're looking for a product design and development company to help you build your next app, Mutual Mobile is the company for you. Mutual Mobile has designed and built over 600 mobile and web apps powering many Fortune 500 companies and high-growth startups around the world today. Founded over 10 years ago, Mutual Mobile has partnered with Under Armour, Clorox, Alamo Drafthouse, KitchenAid, and more. This company is the best-kept secret of web design and development. Well, at least until now. Now, we all know about the pain of hiring a freelancer or a new employee only to find out months later that it's not a fit, but Mutual Mobile has a refined process so they get it done right the first time. And if you're anything like me, that's precisely what you need. Because what do I know about creating a mobile app or what customers are looking for in that sort of thing? I'm no tech whiz. And who wants to spend all the time and money to build their own team? That's not efficient. But that's exactly why Mutual Mobile is such a lifesaver. Spanning business-to-business, consumer, and industry segments, their teams champion custom digital product management, user experience best practices, visual and interactive design, and integrated technical operational development capabilities. Mutual Mobile's teams work alongside their partners from strategy building to product delivery to create impactful and scalable mobile experiences. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Mutual Mobile at mutualmobile.link slash kick to get started. That's mutualmobile.link slash kick. Hey folks, I am so excited to talk to you about my new sponsor. I've been recommending chili products to friends for years now. They literally changed my life and now I am a true believer. Did you know that one of the most effective ways to get better sleep is through temperature regulation? Chili makes both the Chili Pad and Uller, two really cool gadgets that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, Chili Sleep Systems can help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. 
The Uller is controlled through an app on your phone with smart scheduling, a warm awake feature, and a UV light to auto-clean, while the Chili Pad is simply controlled using a remote. Ever since I started using my Chili Sleep system, I've noticed I fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. Whether you like to sleep a little warmer or cooler, you can customize the temperature for you and your side of the bed. Chili products offer a temperature range between 55 and 115 degrees Fahrenheit to suit every sleeper. I used to get horrible sleep. I'd wake up several times a night, hot, sweaty, and frustrated, tossing the comforter off. But then my wife got me what is to this day still the very best birthday gift that I've ever received, a chili pad. And I've slept like a baby ever since because it keeps me cool all through the night. It's not uneven like air conditioning. It cools me right in my immediate space where I sleep, and now my sheets actually hold the cool in rather than making me hot at night. Now, if you, on the other hand, like to sleep warmer, Chili has you covered there too. But for me, there's just nothing like getting nice and cozy when it's chilly. Sometimes I even take my chili pad all the way down to 55 degrees, and I love it. Chili really did change my life for the better, and it'll do the same for you. And right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilitechnology.com slash kick, you can get $150 off any sleep system with code kick. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com slash kick with code kick for $150 off any sleep system. One more time, it's chilitechnology.com slash kick and offer code kick. One of the most effective ways to get better sleep is through temperature regulation. Chili makes both the Chili Pad and the Uller, two really cool gadgets that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, Chili sleep systems can help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. The Uller is controlled through an app on your phone with smart scheduling, a warm awake feature, and a UV light to auto-clean, while the Chili Pad is simply controlled using a remote. Ever since I started using my Chili sleep system, I've noticed I fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. Whether you like to sleep a little warmer or cooler, you can customize the temperature for you and your side of the bed. Chili products offer a temperature range between 55 and 115 degrees Fahrenheit to suit every sleeper. Me, I love to sleep nice and cool. Sometimes I even take my chili pad all the way down to 55 degrees, and I love it. Before I got a chili pad, I used to wake up a few times every night and throw off the comforter because I was hot and had night sweats, and it was just incredibly uncomfortable and frustrating. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Well, that's what I have air conditioning for. But AC isn't always consistent, and sometimes the temperature in front of the vent is different from the rest of the room. But Chili Pad keeps it at the exact temperature I desire consistently and right in my immediate space. Chili changed how I sleep for the better, and it'll do the same for you. And right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilitechnology.com kick, you can get $150 off any sleep system with code kick. That's C-H-I-L-I technology dot com slash kick with code kick for $150 off any sleep system. One more time, it's chilitechnology.com slash kick and offer code kick. Warning, high potency supplements aren't for everyone. 
But if you're intent on continuous improvement and accomplishing health and wellness goals, then you need to meet V-Thrive, the vitamin shop brand. These quality vitamins, supplements, and more are simply clean. No magnesium stearate, stearic acid, or titanium dioxide. Zero artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. Visit vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast or any of the Vitamin Shop stores to level up your health routine and show your body some major love with solutions like Active Flex Plus, featuring clinically studied ingredients like a Preflex and types 1 and 2 collagen to help fuel healthy joints, tendons, and ligaments and deliver results you can feel. Discover their most advanced formulas, bioactive men's and women's multivitamins, with immune-supporting vitamins C and D plus zinc and everything else to fill in the nutrient gaps. And explore heart-healthy, full-spectrum fish oils made from wild-caught, U.S.-sourced Alaskan Pollock. Plus, new for 2020, advanced nootropic formula for cognitive function, energy production, and up to five hours of improved alertness. Find them all and more at vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast. That's vitamin, S-H-O-P-P-E, dot com forward slash podcast or visit the Vitamin Shop store near you. You have tons of examples of these people who are active and aging well, and one of them is a former guest of the show, former Secretary of State George Schultz, who is now 99. He blows my mind. I saw him last uh, probably a year or two ago, but at the time, at least, he was walking uh, with the cane, but he wasn't in a wheelchair. He still was traveling. He gets dressed up in a suit and tie when he goes out. He teaches. He writes. He's still very sharp mentally. He's my new hero. He is. And so uh, I write about him in the book as I did in The Organized Mind. Um, I, I've been fortunate to know him since the 80s, and uh, he just keeps going. Uh, he He's modified his work schedule a bit. Mm-hmm. He now goes in in the mornings and— um, often goes home in the afternoon, but he has many activities once he's at home. He's mm-hmm. reading. He's an avid reader. He published his 11th book at age 97. And yeah. um, my favorite story about uh, George is that when I went to see him a year ago, so he was just turning 98, he had a, 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 on his desk a pile of file folders on one side and another pile of file folders on the other. Huh. And I said... Um, What's all this? You usually keep a very clean desk. He said, well, he said, I started this project many years ago, and I realized I was in over my head because it's an area I didn't have enough expertise in, and I just put it in some uh, cardboard boxes, your banker's boxes, to come back to someday. And he said, just recently here at the center, at the Hoover Institute, he said, uh, we've hired a a young new guy, and this is really his area of expertise. And... uh, you know, we met and he was interested in the project. All these folders on this side of the desk are things that he's gone through in the last week. And these folders on the, and we're going to discuss them when he comes here at lunchtime. And the folders on the other side of the desk are the ones I'm going to give him after our talk. He says, <laughs> we're making such great progress. I can't believe how, how, this, how much energy this young guy has. His name is Jim Timby. He's just amazing. Huh. New project for George, pushing his boundaries. 
Yeah. Uh, and I said, by the way, how old is young Jim Timby? He says, 75. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, George is 98. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the message about don't retire, um, you know, we're talking about people like George who's staying mm-hmm. more or less in his profession. Yeah. Uh, but Julia Hurricane Hawkins was a retired school teacher. She retired to something else. And for every name like this that you and I can talk about, that people can look up on, on, the, on Google or what have you, there are a thousand people quietly contributing to their communities. As you say, mm-hmm. volunteering in hospitals or working with a church group or in a soup kitchen mm-hmm. or visiting other older adults in old age homes and assisted living facilities, tutoring young children, huh. uh, or as my wife's grandparents did, just supporting a large family of a hundred children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren, mm-hmm. being the moral center for the family, yeah, uh, through their nineties, not anything flashy. the The secret to all of this is that all these people we're talking about um, stay in active social circles. Mm-hmm. They're associating with a variety of different people of different ages. Um, they are um, doing something that gives their life a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And in some way, they're contributing to the community. A while back, I had Mark Friedman on, who's big on that. And I know that they have things like uh, these groups that are now uh, pairing young and old people in housing situations where the elderly can take in a college student and the college student will then do chores for them and that kind of thing. And seems like we're getting a little bit better at kind of creating those opportunities for connection among the generations now. We are, and a number of, of uh, you know, churches and uh, community organizations have always done this, mm-hmm. uh, but we're now seeing uh, new ideas like intergenerational choirs in a community huh. where older adults and younger adults sing together. Uh, and in Toronto and other places where there can be housing shortages— uh, young college students are put into apartment buildings with older adults um, who otherwise might be in a, a specialized home, mm-hmm. uh, and, they, and they look after each other. And Palo Alto now has a program, uh, kind of an exchange program, where older adults who have some skill are paired with younger adults who also have a skill, and they, you know, like... A kid might, college kid might come by and change an older woman's light bulbs. In exchange, she tutors him in accounting because she was a CFO before she retired. Oh, interesting. You say in this book that I guess loneliness is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Being lonely is basically a recipe for death. It doesn't mean that if you're not lonely, you can take up smoking, by the way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, being being lonely is very stressful and Mm -hmm. it's... uh, um, hazardous for your health. But I have to uh, clarify that being alone and being lonely are not the same thing. Sure. You can be lonely at a party surrounded by a bunch of people you don't know or people mm-hmm. you think don't like you or respect you. You can be uh, not lonely just by yourself if that's the, your nature. Yeah. I talked to Sonny Rollins for the book, 89 years old, he'll be 90 this year. Uh, one of the great living uh, jazz sure. musicians, saxophonist. Um, he and his girlfriend moved <laughs> out of Manhattan a few years ago because they don't really like 
socializing and people would drop by their apartment and bother them. Mm -hmm. So they're up near Woodstock now. And um, he spends most of his days immersed in reading about Zen Buddhism. Huh. He finds it uh, fulfilling after a lifetime of being on the road and meeting people. He's not lonely. He's alone okay. or with his girlfriend, but uh -huh. not, not lonely. But for an artist, that sort of makes sense. Yes. An artist needs that time to focus. Yeah. Another person that you met with was the Dalai Lama, who's now 84. What did you learn from him? Well, so he, he has an interesting life. It's a very structured life. Uh, he, uh, he has uh, four hours a day when he can meditate. I don't know whether he meditates alone or with others. Interesting. Uh, but, mo you know, in addition to being the head of the uh, Tibetan Buddhists, he's also the head of state for the Tibet government mm -hmm. in exile. And right. so he has certain official, um, you know, government duties. And, you know, he's as a president would be, he's surrounded by staff and people coming to see him. Um, what I learned from him, uh, much of uh, much of it was... Um, his uh, his commitment to feeling and living a life of compassion and gratitude. He uh, there's a nice John Oliver YouTube video where John Oliver went to see him shortly after I did, and they were very and and actually my conversation with him is also up on the web on YouTube. Um, they're very different conversations. John Oliver is of course going for the laugh, yeah, and provoking him. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going for the laugh, but interestingly, in both interviews, we had about an equal amount of laughter. The Dalai Lama just loves mm -hmm. laughing. He's yeah. he's joyous. He's a prankster. He um, he asks questions that he knows are um, are going to uh, elicit some humor. <laughs> he he, uh, you know, we were talking about. You know, I said to him at one point, um, "What advice do you have for somebody who's really?" Um, who's really miserable mm -hmm. and depressed. Um, and he says, well, he said, you could hold your hands together and, and put your eyes up towards heaven and you could go, dear God, 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 God. He says, that does nothing. <laughs> and then he, he broke in and corrected himself and he says, or added to it, he says, I'm not sure I would say that if the Pope was here. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and I said, well, maybe this Pope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but his whole thing is that it's not about uh, throwing your lot in with prayer and mm -hmm. with a greater being. Uh, Buddhists don't necessarily believe in a creator in the way that mm -hmm. um, Catholics do. Right. But um, his, his thing is that to solve... Depression, you need to meditate on gratitude. And it's true. I mean, neuroscience and the Dalai Lama come together on this. If you're feeling thankful for what you have and not focusing on what you don't, mm -hmm. depression melts away. And, and as you age and you aren't capable of doing as many things and so forth, that must become increasingly more important, I have to think. It does, and fortunately, some um, neural mechanisms kick in, both mm -hmm. neurophysiologically and neurochemically, that induce older adults to feel more gratitude. One of them mm -hmm. is what my former professor, Laura Karstensen, called the positivity bias. 
Oh, interesting. Which is that older adults experience more positive emotions, and so they're more <laughs> likely to experience gratitude. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised that, I guess, you know, it's not just the Dalai Lama who is very happy and content at 84, but in general, older people tend to be happier than younger people. Alison Gopnik calls it the grandparent syndrome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, What I think you said, what was it, the, the optimal age for happiness is something like 82 or 84, is that right? That's right, 82 yeah. across 72 countries. Oh, really? The peak age of happiness is 82, huh. and I bet— that uh, together, you and I and, and our listeners can push that out by another 10 or 20 years if we could just reduce one of the mm. last uh, biases or, or, or instances of bigotry in our society, which is ageism. Yeah. Now, insomnia also plays into this because it's apparently an overlooked factor in many cases of depression. But I think that I've also heard many times, you know, older people supposedly need less sleep and they can get by just fine on four or five hours a night. Is that actually the case? Another one of these myths that yeah. uh, the research does not support at all. In fact, the research supports the opposite. Huh. Older adults need eight or nine hours. The problem oh, really? is, that just like the rest of us, yes, the problem is that they tend to only get five and a half or six hours huh. um, due to degradation of the um, part of the brain that synchronizes your sleep-wake cycles, mm -hmm. the suprachiasmatic nucleus, it's called, degradation of melatonin production and other kinds of signaling. Um, we, we tend to wake up a lot or we, we, we go to sleep um, um, at odd times, we wake up too early. Um, I have I devote a whole two chapters to this and give some advice for sleep hygiene. It's not insurmountable, and it doesn't yeah. take that much effort. There's just simple steps anybody can follow, and for most people, that solves the problem. Interesting, yeah. And you also talk about just the importance of our circadian rhythm, right? And how many right. other aspects of our lives that are affected by that? Yeah, digestion, mood, mm -hmm. uh, libido, immune system. Is there an optimal time to wake up? Because, I mean, I'm a night owl. My wife is a morning lark or whatever they call the, the early risers. And, and in some ways, I, I think I've read that we're just kind of programmed that way. Is there much that we can do about that? Or is there anything that we should do about that? So it's interesting. The reason we're programmed that way uh, is the sentinel hypothesis. Okay. When we were living as hunter-gatherers out on the savannah, uh, and Shakespeare had a, uh, you know, in Shakespeare's words, some must watch while some must sleep. Huh. So the idea of the sentinel hypothesis is that if everybody in the tribe or family or kinship mm -hmm. group were asleep, they'd be vulnerable to predators. Okay. Predatory so animals. Sleeping in shifts. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay. That's why you got owls and larks. Interesting. And there is no wow. optimal time to wake huh. up other than eight hours after you went to sleep. Okay. And the important thing is as we get older, uh, you really have to go to bed and wake up at the same time every okay. day. It might be inconvenient. It might be unpleasant. But staying up even two hours later than your usual bedtime uh -huh. after the age of 70 or so can impair uh -huh. your memory for two weeks or more. Now, does it matter whether you wake up at sunrise or whether you wake up at, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning? Not at all, as long as you okay. got your eight or nine hours, whatever huh. it is you need. And um uh, I often wake up at five. I usually wake up at five thirty, uh -huh. and um, depending where I am, it's and what time of year it is, it's dark. Mm -hmm. So I got one of these blue lights that oh, simulates really? That's clever. sunlight. Okay, 
it doesn't have to be a fancy contraption, but I can take mine on the road with me. It's portable. But you could just get a daylight bulb and put it in your desk lamp or something mm. or a table lamp. The idea is that the pineal gland needs uh, UV light and sunlight in order to set the biological clock. Okay. It's one of these things that we call a Zeitgeber, a mm. time giver from the German. Okay. Uh, that light uh, stimulates the synchrony of your biological clock and the production of wake-up hormones. Um, and then darkness does the opposite. It simulate, stimulates the production of melatonin and sleepiness. Now, we also associate old age with chronic pain. Do you think that old people really experience more pain than young people? They seem to, but then they grow out of it. They grow out of it. Yeah, <laughs> How do uh, you do that? Well, I mean... Do you just accept it or No, or no, for reasons that we don't fully understand. Huh. Around the mid-80s, uh, pain seems to decrease. Huh. And part of it is that the sensory receptors are less sensitive. Oh, okay. But that's that not most of the story. Really? We just don't understand it. And you also say that sometimes the elderly do themselves a little bit of a disservice because they don't report pain to their doctor. Right. Why don't they want to talk about that? Well, I think uh, there's a stigmatization. Uh, we don't want to seem old. We mm -hmm. don't want to um, complain about something that doctors really can't do anything about. Okay. Pain, the, basically, as my friend Jeff Mogul says, a pain researcher in Canada, the way we treat pain, you can go to the most sophisticated hospital in the most sophisticated country in the world. We're treating pain the same way today as we did 2,000 years ago. We either give you the bark of a tree, which is aspirin, <laughs> Okay. Or we give you the um, seeds of a flower, which is opium. Oh. Opiates. <laughs> okay. or, you know, synthetic yeah. forms yeah. of those. Huh. Uh, we, we're not very far along in pain research. Yeah. Now, another area of research that's getting a ton of money is longevity. Uh, we have all these Silicon Valley billionaires and transhumanists who have spurred tons of research into longevity. The goal, I guess, is supposedly to be able to extend life or maybe even, according to some people, cure death. More recently, I've been reading research that suggests that there might be a limit to how many times our cells can replicate. So there might actually be a ceiling of something like, I think, around 120 years. Do you think that there's a way around that? Or so is that the end? You're, you're absolutely right. You're referring to the Hayflick limit. Mm -hmm. uh, Leonard Hayflick discovered this uh, several decades ago, which is that... Um, DNA can only replicate about 50 times mm -hmm. uh, before uh, it stops. And it's not that it has a pre-programmed end date or expiration date. Okay. It's, 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 it's uh, for a more technical reason than that. But the big picture here is that um, we are looking at different kinds of substances that um, can extend life and uh, really by delaying the side effects of senescence or aging. So it's not huh. that you'd live to be 200 and you'd be twice as decrepit looking as a 100-year-old. <laughs> uh, it's that, you know, at 200, you'd look like 100 now. And it I probably okay. be nonlinear, but huh. maybe 80-year-olds would look like 50-year-olds or something. And um, it's all on the horizon. It's very interesting. But um, I find that lost in this conversation about longevity – I was just at a conference of Silicon Valley types who wanted to extend life to a thousand. Um, lost in the conversation is is usually a kind of blind focus on longevity without a focus on quality of life. Right, right. So I think everybody will have to make up their own mind. But for me, yeah. I don't want to live to be two hundred if I spend the last hundred and ten years <laughs> in a chair 
sure. drooling on myself and not knowing where I am. Yeah. What do you think is more likely or easier to do, to extend life or improve the quality of life in old age? Well, we're already improving the quality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds, and 100-year-olds are... Uh, it, this is really the best time to be those ages in history. Mm-hmm. They're they're living healthier. Uh, they're living more engaged, uh, lives full of enjoyment and meaning. That's the part of the conversation I want to change, the yeah. societal narrative that, you know, after a certain age you fade. Most of us don't have to, and, and many of us don't. Uh, so the uh, it's true that nobody on record has lived beyond 123 Mm-hmm. We may see people living longer. We don't really understand why people time out. But um, I think that for me, my own, and I'm not speaking now as a professional, as a neuroscientist, but my own um, private desire is that we do spend more time on extending healthy life, the yeah. healthy period of your life, rather than the actual number of years that you yeah. get. And one way we can do that is by eliminating cancer and other things that really, and chronic pain, which uh, which really debilitate. It's looking like inflammation is a root cause of both. So that's right. a promising right. avenue. Right, I've been of, reading that a lot. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. promising avenue of research. Uh, my colleague Jim Allison just won the Nobel Prize for discovering immunotherapies that allow your body's own immune system to kill cancer. Most people don't realize this, but you're getting, you know, little tumors all the time. Huh. Your body gets rid of them when the you know, <laughs> really? immune system attacks them. No kidding. It's the ones that you have to worry about that go into your immune system and trick it and say, "Hey, we're not really cancer. Just huh. just keep walking. Just just you know, you know, you know <laughs> don't stop here. Keep going." Yeah. Huh. Uh, but what Allison figured out how to do is wow. to get those immune system components uh, to to actually stop at the cancer and, and say, oh, no, no, I'm not listening to it. Fake news. You're cancer. I'm getting rid of you. <laughs> uh, before we go, you list five lifestyle choices that are the biggest factors in later life success, and you have this handy acronym for them, COACH. Uh, what does that stand for? Walk us through those. Well, so C and O and A kind of go together. Okay. They're curiosity and openness. Okay. To remain curious about the world and open to new experiences, and in particular to the A, associations with other people. Mm-hmm. Curious about other people. Okay. Open to spending time okay. with new people. Like George Schultz. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, maybe next time you're standing in line at the grocery store, talk to the person next to you. Yeah, get off your phone. Uh, right, that's right. Get Makes out of your sense. own head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Talking with other people, what you and I are doing right now, is the most complicated activity that we know of for the brain. Really? It's neurally protective. Um, It involves a lot of thought processes and higher cognitive operations and negotiation and all of that. The next next C, C Uh C-O-A-C-H, the second C is conscientiousness, which we already talked about. Right, right. Developing conscientiousness about... um, these other factors, conscientiously being curious, open, and associative. And then H, healthy practices, mm-hmm. cluster of uh, practices surrounding diet, um, movement, and sleep. We talked about the mm-hmm. sleep already. Um, 
easy thing about diet is there is no magic diet supplements. There's no supplement that's been shown to actually help uh, unless you're nutritionally deficient by a doctor's definition. Okay. These are billion-dollar huh. industries that want you to believe otherwise. So that's all bunk pretty much. <laughs> well, to be fair, when I say there's no evidence that they work, uh-huh. it doesn't mean they don't work. Okay. But okay. you're probably better off putting your money and time into something that we know works. Okay, like what? Well, um, like exercise oh, and okay. conscientiousness mm-hmm. and okay. good sleep habits. Okay. Now, you know, there, somebody asked me the other day about um, acai berries. Okay. No evidence they work, but we don't yeah. no, we don't think they're harmful. So mm-hmm. yeah, go for it. Not nothing to lose if you like acai yeah. berries. <laughs> What about vegan diets? I know I had Dan Butner on a while back, and he was pushing a vegan diet, saying that animal proteins are a recipe for uh, an early death, or, or at least not a recipe for longevity. Well, a problem with uh, a problem I see as a scientist with a lot of the people promoting diets mm-hmm. is that they they look at the a number of miraculous cases uh, where somebody adopted the keto diet or the Atkins uh-huh. diet or uh, the vegan diet, and they say, you know, I found 50 people who had incurable cancer Mm -hmm. or they were incurably obese and they were resistant to everything. And, you know, they did this diet and they were better within a month. I'm not exaggerating. Those cases do exist. I don't dispute it. Okay. But any statistician will tell you or any scientist will tell you those are the 50 cases, yes, uh, where it worked. What if I told you there were 5,000 cases where it didn't work? <laughs> You're missing a big piece of information. Okay. If you tell me that 50, we started out with 60 people, 50 of them followed the diet, they got better, 10 didn't. That's one thing. Nobody's saying that. <laughs> they don't tell you how many people followed it and didn't get better. Yeah. And they don't tell you how many people did something else and got right. better. Right, right. You can't. It's hard to have controls in a situation like that, I guess. Well, it's not. There are, no? you know, uh, the Bredesen Protocol, which okay. is a diet, is under a controlled study up in Northern California. Okay. Oh. And, you know, there, there have been controlled studies, very carefully done experiments where people can't cheat because they're at a hospital during the duration okay. of the study, things like right. that. Right, okay. That makes sense. Difficult and costly. Yeah. But there, there's no single diet that has proven... Mm-hmm. Uh, has met a burden of scientific proof to be better than any other. The general advice uh, goes back to Michael Pollan's book of uh, nearly, I guess it's been 20 years, The Omnivore's. Oh, right. Um, Omnivore's Dilemma, right? Uh, The the advice is just, you know, probably eat more plants than you're eating. Uh Eat a varied diet. Okay. And I would add to that, don't eat if you're not hungry. I don't know. Winston Churchill, he smoked 15 cigars a day and drank all day long and ate red meat at every meal, and he lived to be 90. And I I tell stories in the book about people who were in their 90s and 100s who, who, you know, cigar smoking, (laughs) uh, woman chasing, bourbon drinking, you know. But but the thing, you can always find an odd story like that. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't build your own life around it. Right. I say, <laughs> you know, true. it's Good like advice. it's like betting the long shot at a horse race. It's yeah. just very unlikely it will come in. Yeah. Um, nobody, nobody gets rich consistently betting the long shots. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> or at least most people don't get rich yeah. consistently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I wish you the very best of health. I hope you live to 100, 110, Dan. Again, his book is Successful Aging, A Neuroscientist Explores the Power and Potential of Our Lives. 
Dan Levitin, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dr. Daniel Levitin for coming on the show. Order his new book, Successful Aging, a neuroscientist explores the power and potential of our lives on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. And keep up with Dan at daniellevitin.com or on Twitter at at danlevitin. If you miss, meet V-Thrive, the vitamin shop brand. These high-potency vitamins, supplements, and more are simply clean. That means no magnesium stearate, stearic acid, or titanium dioxide, and zero artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. Try their selection of heart-healthy full-spectrum fish oils made from wild-caught, fresh, U.S.-sourced Alaskan pollock. Find these and more at vitaminshop.com forward slash podcast or visit the Vitamin Shop store near you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. Five-star ratings and detailed reviews are one of the best ways for new listeners to discover the show. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickassNewsPod and recommend us to your friends on your social media. For more fun stuff, visit KickassNews.com and I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at KickassNews.com. For now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News.